0: Welcome to all of our new and existing relatives and listeners. This is the Healing Dojo podcast series brought to you by the Her Wellness Institute in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us as we engage in meaningful conversation around the complexities of our collective and individual healing. Listen along with us as we freethink and practice CAM, Community Activated Medicine, where the people are the medicine. Come as you are and let's begin.
1: Well, hello all and welcome to another episode of the Healing Dojo podcast. My name is Mariah Jensen and I am one of Her Wellness's social work interns and I will be one of our hosts for today. We are also joined here with Mr. Fonde Bridges and joining us today is our very special guest Ms. Chris Bivens. A little bit about Chris is that she works at Family Services Wisconsin Lifeline, which is a suicide prevention hotline. She has been helping children and families navigate challenging life events for almost 30 years. She has her bachelor's in psychology and master's in child life and family-centered care And she holds many certifications as well as many publications and is a very well decorated individual. So um, Chris, I'll pass it over to you if I've missed anything. I know there's a lot that you can share with us.
2: So I just wanna thank you all for inviting me into your circle. I am so honored. I maybe wanna clarify that I'm not a social worker. I supervise social work interns, I supervise child life interns, I supervise all kinds of interns, work with nursing students and medical students, pastoral care interns, but very interested in health and wellness, advocacy in all different kinds of forms for all ages, and I'm really very honored to be here today.
1: Thank you so much. And Fondé, I'll pass it over to you if you want to introduce yourself a little bit more too.
3: Well, you know, Mariah, I just want to say, uh, I'm really excited to talk to Chris and I am curious to learn a little more about what it is that, uh, I guess, Chris, I would just ask, so what is your title? I'd love to know.
2: I never know how to answer that question. I am the program supervisor at Wisconsin Lifeline. So that's my official job title. I am supervising all of the crisis call counselors who are answering the 24-7 suicide prevention hotline. Wow. We're one of the Round 1000 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline member call centers. And so in July of next year, federal law was passed last year that says just like we have 911 for medical emergencies now, we will have 988 for mental health and suicide emergencies. State of Wisconsin is gearing up for that transition and we will be part of the group that is answering those calls.
3: Wow. For the state. Okay, so I understand better. You are supervising the people who answer the suicide prevention phone calls that come in. Right. Wow.
2: I meet at least monthly sometimes more often with every call counselor. We also have a clinical supervisor, a a licensed social worker who does therapy, who meets with and provides clinical supervision once a month minimum for all of the staff members. Plus, she and I oversee our weekly team meeting. We talk a lot about Self care. We're a new program. The RFP from the state of Wisconsin went out in January of last year, and our program started in August of okay. last year. Okay. Since we started, there was one person who completed two days of orientation and didn't come back. Okay. And one person who um, who was with us several months. She was living in Madison and commuting to Green Bay for the job, and she found a crisis job closer to Madison, but she didn't even leave us. She picks up part-time shifts when we need coverage for people who are taking off or need need vacation and, and training. So far, we're doing pretty good with turnover.
3: Well, I just want to say again, thank you very much for the care and compassion you're giving those. Amazing and courageous human beings fielding the the emotional help and need at that hour. That's a a pretty powerful hour in someone's life. Very serious seconds.
1: Chris, I'm wondering, how do you prevent burnout with being in such an emotionally heavy field?
3: I am a
2: strong proponent of utilizing ProQual, professional quality of life. It is a self-check inventory. And I encourage to do it at least annually as a self-check-in. It gives you a burnout risk score. It gives you a compassion satisfaction score, which is how good of a fit is your job for your talents and skills. And it gives you a secondary trauma risk score. And I think sometimes we're in the thick of it and we don't even realize how much of a toll things are taking on us. And that's a really great tool to do that self check-in, but I'm also big on staying connected to colleagues and processing through, obviously maintaining confidentiality, but being able to talk through, you know, man, I just took a phone call from a woman who swallowed three bottles of pills because her adult son has disabilities and she's just exhausted because no care providers were coming into their home because of COVID, right? talking through what did I do, what did I say, should I have done or said something different, getting that feedback, I feel is really helpful to me. I'm really close to my family and do a lot with my family. I am an avid sci-fi fan. My favorite show would probably have been Deep Space Nine. Okay. If we're talking shows, I'm a huge fan of Robert Heinlein.
3: All right. Sci-fi. I'm so I'm checking it out.
2: Things I definitely didn't think I would be talking about on the podcast.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're you know it's I like to celebrate all the quiet little things too that that move us through. So like you said that that sci-fi moment, that little bit of something there on the edges when everything else, all the different tactics that one might have, still a little bit of sci-fi sprinkled in is like the seasoning of a good mental fitness program in my mind. So I love it. I love it. All right, Mariah. All right.
1: Chris, thank you so much for that resource. I feel like, especially with all of us being in kind of that heavy burnout field, that's a great tool to use. I I didn't know about it either before. So I'm definitely going to look into that as soon as I can today. I'm also wondering what brought you into the work that you do? I hated medical school.
2: That's, that's, that's a short answer.
3: Love that answer. <laughs> I like the facts. Just give me, I love that. Yeah, that's it. I've no medical school, no.
2: <laughs> all my life, my goal, like I was focused, I was driven, I was taking all the sciences, I was, I was doing everything I could do to get scholarships and get into medical school. And I did. It was the most miserable year of my life. And I felt like a total failure when I made the decision that I was gonna drop out. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I was working several jobs at a hospital. One of the jobs was in the playroom with the kids doing activities. One of the kids, his family lived hours and hours away and he didn't get visits from his family very often. And one weekend his mom came and with his sister, his pick line report fell out and needed to be replaced. And his mom wanted to support him and, and go with him to the procedure. And she did, but that left his little sister with nothing to do. So I said, she can hang out with me in the playroom. And she hung out with me all day. And a couple of days later, they called and said she'd come down with chicken pox and she exposed every child in the playroom to chicken pox. And so the answer from administration and infectious disease was we're closing the playroom to all siblings no siblings can go in the playroom ever again and um, I said well wait a minute where would she have gone you would have left her alone in in his room with no one in there for six hours you're going to send her to the cafeteria to run around or the best solution was having her to the playroom it was the only supervised space where a child could kind of hang out other than maybe the nurse's desk where someone might be. And one of my jobs at the hospital was the med school library. And so I went to the library and said, you know, some other hospital has to have dealt with this. And um, found that there was a whole profession. At the time, there were about three colleges that offered master's degree in child life in the U.S.
3: Excuse me, can you explain what child life is real quick? A master's degree in, in child life. If you ever go to the children's hospital I have been.
2: and hang out in a playroom, okay. you have likely met a child life specialist. They wow. are the people who provide the games and the toys and the activities. They help keep the kids connected to their school. They help make sure that the kids who are one are still learning to walk and talk despite whatever illness, injury, tubes things they're connected to. They're collaborating with OT, PT, speech. They're okay. collaborating with the family.
3: <laughs> but yeah, I've had kids, I've had, I have four kids, they're a little older. I Maybe the last one qualifies for children's hospital, but I have been in those rooms and you do wonder, you can see the thought to the point as a parent, I often felt like, wow, I might need to get one of those. Like my child could benefit from that being in our house often my experience is that I would learn a little something from being in the space while I'm waiting in the waiting room because once there are siblings and you do need a room to sit in to your point, someone has to create a space for other children to, or even that child to be nurtured and cared for while you're waiting. So I got it now, a child life specialist is the one who's helping to design the life of the child in relationship to the hospital and and I guess The trauma also that is experienced?
2: A lot of what we work with is is stress and coping, right? And teaching kids coping skills. My favorite position as a child life specialist was the ER. And so my trauma training kind of really hit its stride when I was working with kids who were coming in from nearly drowning or a car accident or a house fire I had the pleasure of being at the head of the bed saying okay yes there's a million people around you and there's a million things going on but you focus on my voice you ask me any questions I will answer your questions I will explain to you who everyone is and what's going on and we're going to get you through this we know exactly how to take care of you so start breathing. Okay. Now they're starting to wash your arm because they're going to put our magic straw in there so that they can give you drinks that you can't even taste. Okay. Now they're going to, you know, and I would walk them through everything. Wow. Wow. For sure.
3: Right. I kind of just want that recording (laughs) of that. I just want, (laughs) that was so beautiful. That was so well done. And I know you were just giving us a taste because, right. But it's just the confidence and also the calm and comfort in your voice was was palpable. Like you said, you felt privileged and honored to be by the bedside. So your attitude inspiring in and of itself, the way you frame the language, there's so much trauma happening. And you're speaking of the gratitude you have to be there for that young spirit who's going through a, 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 just a traumatic moment. So that's, that's amazing.
1: And I'm also wondering with you know, like you said, language and wording is important. If you, ha- if you can share about an experience that you've had with culture and families.
2: Probably the most challenging and maybe the one I learned the most from young man, eight, maybe nine years old. He was son in a family who were Hmong immigrants. So no one in the family spoke English a translator or interpreter for when the doctors were going to do rounds, but the interpreter would come and go and the family would still be there taking care of their son or trying to do what they could to learn the cares or hanging out and being a family. And I would be bringing in activities and I would be trying to engage with the son and trying to get him to speak and get him to walk. and. One of the things that I did, I patted him on the head. The mother almost fainted. She was so upset and so beside herself. I mean, we went from having a lovely interaction to the father wouldn't look at me. The mother was not in a good, like, I didn't know. I didn't understand what had changed. Very clear to me (laughs) that something had changed. So fast forward. Interpreters and days, and right, uh, um, I learned that touching his head allowed evil spirits to enter his body, opened the gate so that the evil spirits could enter. I was, of course, horrified and was able to later communicate that I had absolutely no intention of opening any gates to any evil. I went to the hospital and, and advocated that the shamans from their clan come, and I advocated for the shaman to do a cleansing and, and healing ritual to fix the bad thing that I had, had done. Wow. And we were able to get to that place because I had a good staff that was willing to work with me and listen to me and work with the family and listen to them. It wasn't easy. And it took a a lot of effort and work. They allowed open flame in the room with the oxygen. There was all kinds of things that happened that would never happen in a hospital to fix this. But we did ultimately, thankfully,
3: get it fixed. Love that story. Love that.
0: Yeah. Thank you for listening and reflecting along to this episode, Relatives. We hope the content and thoughts you experienced will continue to ignite the healing within. We encourage you to continue the conversation by scrolling through our other podcast episodes, as some of them may have a part two or three and reflection. We wish you all the love and good energy as you move forward in your healing journey. It is our honor to be here with you. Be sure to check us out on our Facebook page or at www.herwellness.org. And that is spelled H I R wellness.org. Take care, relatives.